0: It is another baseball season ready to go. The 2014 season is just about ready to begin. In three weeks from tonight, the Indians and the Reds will kick it off for the 2014 season. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome to our fourth consecutive season of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'll tell you what. Mark Donahue and I have been on the air longer than Conan O'Brien on the Tonight Show. Nonetheless, after... (laughs) Months and months of negotiations, agents calling each other back and forth, dogs with cats, tigers with lions. We finally got Mark Donahue signed to a renegotiated contract to come back to the show this year. Mark, thanks a lot. Welcome. How are you tonight? I'm great, and I have to
1: tell the fans out there that working with Dave has been terrific, and he actually doubled my salary this year. I want everybody to know that. And uh, he's a great businessman, I thought he made a wise decision in bringing me back. And uh, Dave, I I really appreciate it, and it's good to be back with you for another baseball season.
0: Well, we couldn't find anybody down in the Cincinnati area that would work for what you were working for. So nonetheless, that's where we're at right now, Mark. (laughs) But another season, hey, the Reds and Indians both made the playoffs last year. What do you think, Mark? Can they do it again this year?
1: Well, they certainly can do it. And as you and I were talking before we went on the air, uh, I have a lot more reservations about the Reds repeating this year than I do the Indians. Uh, I think the Indians, uh, outside of being in the Central Division with Detroit, uh, I think the Indians have a heck of a chance to repeat. Uh, I I think they're they're solid up and down. They've got a, a solid offense. They've got a solid defensive team. And they have outstanding pitching. Uh, with the Reds, uh, they, they've got two of those three things. They've got good defense and they've got great pitching. What concerns me is a season filled with losing games 3-2, to 4-3, to three, and 2-1, to one, which, as you know, drives the fans crazy. But I think that that could be in the offing for the Reds this year. And frankly, I'll be surprised if this season goes too much in, into the year Without the Reds making a move offensively, I I don't think that they're going to risk the the chance of not winning or getting into the playoffs with the pitching staff they have, and it would all fall on Walt Jockerty if they don't. If this team performs as they did last year offensively, uh, it's going to be Jockerty's fault because he did not bring in a bat. That's his decision. He's the boss. He can do what he wants. Uh, But this team needed another bat and they did
0: not get it. Well, you know, Mark, we talked last year a lot about how these two teams mirrored each other. Um, they Each team needed a cleanup hitter. Uh, each team needed a third baseman. Uh, there were a lot of things that each the Reds and the Indians needed that really seemed to be the same. This year, it's the same, too, especially during the off season. I know we're going to get into this a lot. But the fact that the... Neither team really did anything during the hot stove season to improve their ball clubs.
1: That's true. And I think with the, with the Reds, uh, it was more of an economic issue. And the question is, if you've got $100 million to spend, do you spend it on Homer Bailey? What could that $100 million have bought in the free agent market offensively? You could have gotten just about anybody. <laughs> Nelson resource. Cruz. You could have gotten Nelson Cruz for, for $8 million, and you could have got other guys. I mean, you, you had some opportunities out there offensively that would have improved this ball club. Now the question is, if you don't sign Bailey, you still have him this year. If the rest didn't sign him, they still had him under contract for 2014. So you could have spent that money, not re signed Bailey, Brought in an offensive uh, catalyst or two, and probably put yourself in the position to win the division, if not the, the World Series, this year. They chose not to do that. They chose to, saw, uh, to sign Bailey long term, and you know, time will tell. Tw- hindsight's twenty twenty, but you have to wonder: Did they squander an opportunity this year to, to ensure themselves a playoff position? Uh, by signing some offensive help, and they did not do that.
0: Well, Mark, last year, the Indians entered the season with a brand-new manager in Terry Francona, and it paid dividends. The Indians made the playoffs. This year, the Reds are doing the same thing, but they are coming off of a playoff season. They brought in a new manager, Brian Price. Talk about what Brian Price is like and what differences there are going to be between him and Dusty Baker.
1: I think the biggest difference is that uh, Dusty Baker was as old school as you could get. Uh, he, he, he went on hunches. Uh, he went on how a player looked or felt or whatever. Brian Price is a much more intellectual, uh, far more educated, formerly educated guy than Dusty. I have nothing against Dusty intellectually. I'm just saying that, that anybody who knows Brian Price knows he studies the statistics he knows the numbers. He knows the percentages. Uh, he, he, he doesn't believe, as an example, that batting Vado and Bruce back to back is the end of the world. And his rationale is, and it's very sound, and this is an example of Brian Price. He said if we're facing a right hander, that right hander is going to have to go through Vado and Bruce three times before we are going to be impacted. By the other team bringing in a left hander to face Bruce and Vado back to back. He said, Hopefully, we're going to have a big enough lead that it won't matter. That is so logical and makes so much sense, but Dusty Baker never bought into that kind of logic.
0: Well, Marty Brenneman has been the announcer for the Reds now for almost 40 seasons, over 40 seasons, actually. He's seen a lot of managers come and go during his tenure as Reds announcer. And he spoke on the Reds' website about just what he thinks Brian Price is going to bring to the Cincinnati Reds this
2: season. I like some of the approaches that um, that Brian Price has taken. I mean, you know, no disrespect to Dusty Baker, but we did not see a very aggressive team on the base pass when Dusty managed here. I think there was an assumption made uh, concerning certain players that... You know, they weren't capable of stealing a base. Uh, Brian made it perfectly clear even before the club gathered in Goodyear that it was going to be a very aggressive club, uh, not only going first to third second to home, but also in terms of stolen bases. And from me, he's a very low-key, laid-back guy. Um, I can't wait to see him lose his mind for the first time on some type of incident that occurs on a field, and he has to really get bent out of shape. I don't know if he's capable of doing it or not. Of all the managers that I've dealt with in 40 years, all of them have baseball savvy. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they were. He's the most intellectually bright guy that I've ever dealt with from a managerial standpoint. And I think in the long term, that will that will stand him in good stead.
0: Mark, intellectual manager. Is that something that the Reds need, or do they need somebody... As manager that is, is able to handle these players and get them motivated to play,
1: Dave, I think the game has changed so much over the last twenty twenty five years First of all, you 've got guys making fifteen, twenty million dollars a year These are more than ball players they are conglomerates themselves these These are businesses we're seeing throwing the baseball at hundred miles an hour. I think most of them now are too smart not to take advantage of that, and that means staying in shape, being motivated, getting ready to play. I think the idea of a manager now coming in and being a rah-rah guy, uh, I don't think it plays in today's world of baseball. These guys want to play. They're, the workout regimens they go through, they're dedicated 12 months a year. And what I think baseball players need now in terms of leadership is somebody who's intelligent, who's calm, who knows the statistics, they're going to give the players the best chance to win. Uh, they deal with the, if there are bad apples, they deal with them and get rid of them. But you, you really look at these teams, they're almost like corporations anymore in terms of their of their makeup. You know, these guys all have agents, and, and they have their own TV shows. They have websites, all this stuff. So I, I think Brian Price is a guy whose time has come And you're going to see more Brian Price's managing ball clubs over the next 10 years than you are Dusty Bakers.
0: Well, when you look at this ball club, Mark, the main thing that they did in the offseason, other than Homer Bailey, was letting Shinsu Chu go to free agency and eventually sign with Texas. Now, Shinsu Chu was a main part of this ball club a year ago. As far as being a great leadoff hitter, not much of a base runner, a base stealer, but a great leadoff hitter. Billy Hamilton, with all his attributes coming forward out of the minor leagues and his great publicity that he's received, is moving into that leadoff spot and into center field. Just at the bat right now, Mark, just at the plate, what does Billy Hamilton have to do to spur this Reds offense? Well,
1: I'm going to throw a number out at you. And guess what I'm referring to when I say this number. 90. Runs. No. In in the context of Billy Hamilton, the number 90 represents the number of doubles that he could have if you take a walk in a stolen base and make it a double. Now, that that's an incredible number when you think about 90 doubles that somebody could have. But that's what Billy Hamilton can bring to the Reds. That means he's in scoring position 90 times just on a single, a walk, an error, and a stolen base. That is, to me, as important as what Chu did. I think he's going to be better defensively than Chu. He's going to be able to help the Reds score one run rather than three, And, you know, he's, when you need that one run, Billy Hamilton can provide that. I don't think Chu should have been re-signed. I think Jockety did the right spot, did the right thing by not re-signing him. I don't think Chu versus Hamilton is an issue this year. I really don't. I think it's going to be in that fifth and sixth spot in the batting order where the Reds are going to be hurting if Frazier and Ludwig and Kozart don't come through.
0: What's a successful season for Billy Hamilton?
1: I think 240 batting average. I'd be I'd be thrilled with 240, and but he's gonna you know he's gonna get his he's got a much better eye than people give him credit for. He 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 walks and he fouls off pitches. He's had a number of, of double digit at bats this year, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen pitches. He makes the pitcher throw, so. I think he's been underrated in terms of his on-base percentage. I don't think he's going to hit for a high average. But I think he can really bring a lot to the Reds. But, I, again, I don't think Billy Hamilton is the is the major problem this year for this team. I think it's going to be, uh, as I said, that, that 5, 6, and 7 hitting in, in, in the lineup.
0: Well, one of the things that Billy Hamilton brought to the plate last year in the month of September for the Reds was the fact that he could – lay the ball down and bunt. And it's something that he told the Reds network that he was able to work on not only all of last year, but during the winter months. I'm seeing good results out of me. The hard work I put into it, the time I put into it to get my game out i The main thing was to do this spring, was use usually a lot more. You know, work on it even. I've had a few mistakes with it the first couple of times trying it, but I feel like I'm getting better at it each and every day, so that's the main
2: thing. If I do my job, I feel like I can get safe every time, point getting it down and uh, putting it in place, and, and I, I've got to realize that I've uh, got to use my speed, and I ain't got to rush out of there, so the main thing is the button down first, perfect button, it's been good
0: so far. Mark, he laid down a lot of bunts in the month of September, and beat out a majority of them. He thinks that he should beat out about 75% of the bunts that he lays down this year. Do you think that is a, is a realistic goal for him?
1: Uh, that might be a little optimistic, but what he could make up for, even if it's only 50 or 60% he beats him out, he's gonna be at a lot of ground balls to shortstop and second base. And, or, you know, a high chopper over the mound. No one's gonna get him. He's gonna get a lot of infield hits. So, uh, it may not be a bunt, but he's gonna be on. And I'll tell you one thing people have told me about Billy Hamilton is that he's a lot stronger than he looks. That, you know, he's muscular and he's he's got a lot of flexibility, he's got decent bat speed, he was kind of overpowered last year, but they said it was because he was tired, I I don't doubt that, one thing the Reds are going to have to watch it with him, when you steal bases, it's hard on your body, and you do get fatigued, you're sprinting all the time, and he's playing center field, which he's running a lot, so... They've got to manage him, and this guy cannot play 150, 160 games a year. He needs to play 120, 125. Keep him fresh. Uh, you could always bring him up the bench to pinch run then. But if they're smart with him, they're go- they're going to manage him just like you do a young pitcher. Don't let him overdo it. But this guy, this guy is going to help the Reds this year.
0: Well, let me throw some stats out to you during spring training. Spring training alone right now for Billy Hamilton. He's played in seven games so far. He's had 16 at-bats. He's had six runs, five hits, four walks, six strikeouts. or I'm sorry, six stolen bases. And as far as strikeouts are concerned, Mark, he hasn't struck out yet. I know.
1: That's what, you know, I, I saw him play, I think, four games last year in person. And I've never seen anybody run to first base that fast. And, and They said Mickey Mantle was as fast as Billy Hamilton. I, I, don't, I don't know. I never saw Mickey Mantle play in person, frankly. But Billy Hamilton is going to change the game. And, you know, the Reds have an opportunity to to score far more runs than they did last year with fewer home runs. And, you know, if you remember back in the 80s, Dave, when, in, in the 70s for that matter, uh, there was a lot of speed. The Cardinals won a World Series with nothing but speed. So did Kansas City. Uh, That was the the calling card of the teams back then because they didn't have a lot of power. So it'll be interesting to see if other teams take note. And if Billy Hamilton, you know, if he did steal 90 or 100 bases and score 150 runs, you're going to see a major impact in baseball because of that.
0: Oh, I think so, too. If you remember back when the Big Red Machine was formed, Originally, it was formed on speed, and it eventually turned into a power-hitting machine. But, but originally, like I said, it was built on speed with not so much Pete at the top of the order, but Morgan was batting second and Griffey was batting third at the time.
1: That's right. And the Reds, they, they could have scored a lot of runs with stolen bases, but why would you take a chance when you got, you got Perez, Bench, and, and the rest of that team coming up behind uh, Morgan and, uh, and, and Griffey? So, you know, you, the rest of your lineup will dictate, in many cases, how often you steal. But don't forget, it's not just stolen bases. It's going from first to third. It's scoring from second on a single. Uh, the, the Reds have some decent speed this year, and I, and I hope they use it.
0: Well, we're going to get into the Indians here in just a little bit. Of course, this being the first show, Mark, uh, we've got some house cleaning things we've got to take care of. I forgot to tell people right off the top of our show... That they could email us here tonight or give us a tweet. You can either email us at DMitch at Ultimate dot com or ask us at Ultimate dot com. And of course, you can give us a tweet to OHBB co or at Alt Talk. Um, also, Mark, we're going to come back with our Ask Us segment, which will always be towards the bottom of the hour. Uh, we're going to try to incorporate some phone calls. In that this year Uh, we'll get into more rules as we get closer to the regular season on how the phone calls will go and we're going to try to put those phone calls on the air but Mark I mean last year I thought we had each year that we've done this this being our fourth year I thought the listenership has grown and I hope it continues to grow this year but I think a lot of it's going to have to do with the two teams and whether or not they're going to be able to win.
1: Well, that's true, but as we're getting into this, I want to give a shout-out to two of my fans and friends of mine, and actually they're working on our movie together, uh, Linda Jordan from Fairborn, Ohio, and Mike Wolf from Chicago. They are first-time listeners tonight, and I want to welcome them to our vast worldwide listenership. (laughs) And uh, I want to thank them for all their help, and they they worked closely together this week and uh, getting something done for us. So I appreciate that and hope you guys enjoy the show.
0: Well, I'm sure, as they probably know, having seen you and not seeing me, but they probably can tell that, Mark, each of us have a face for radio.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, we we do. I I think we have found our calling in
0: the entertainment world. (laughs) Mark, let's look at the Reds' pitching staff. Now, you brought up Homer Bailey, the $100 million man. Uh, they spent a, a majority of their, their cash on Homer Bailey. Now you've got Johnny Cueto and Matt Latos. What happens with these two when it comes time to pay them? Well, you, what you do is
1: you trade one of them. You have no choice. Uh, the, the Reds can't afford five guys making $100 million bucks, and the way... This pitching staff is set up. Uh, Mike Leake, he won 14 games last year. He won more than Homer Bailey. He's younger than Homer Bailey. Uh, what are you going to pay him in two years? Uh, you're going to pay him 75, 80 million bucks. And then you got Tony Sangrani, who ironically is the number five starter. And I heard a scout yesterday uh, on TV say that Tony Sangrani has the best stuff on the Reds pitching staff, including Aroldus Chapman. That means his fastball moves more, his, his breaking ball is getting better each day. This guy could be a superstar. He, he, he compared him to Kershaw of the Dodgers. And even if he's off a little bit, I mean, you have a pitching staff with, with, with five guys that conceivably could be your number one starter. And that's, that's not an exaggeration. People, people don't understand how good Mike Week is. And this guy's going to get better. He, he's like a Greg Maddox-type pitcher. But what do you do with five starting pitchers like that? I can't think of a rotation potentially as good as this one, other than the, 19, it was the 1969 Baltimore Orioles when they had four 20-game winners. Uh, that, that is how far back it goes. And I think this pitching staff is better than the pitching staff that the Braves had when they had Maddox and Glavin and, and two or three other guys that were almost all-stars. At the time, this is this is five deep, and then you, then you have your closer as Chapman. I mean, you're talking about some some studs uh, walking to the mound for the Reds this year.
0: Well, I, I, I want to continue on this line about the Reds pitching staff, and and the one thing that singrani has got that and Chapman that a lot of people don't is they throw with their left hand. And that is golden right there. You could pitch until you're age 45 if you're left-handed in Major League Baseball today. But, Mark, what about Bronson Arroyo? Will this team miss him in any way, shape, shape form, or fashion?
1: The only way they would miss him is if somebody's injured because he gave you innings. And But, but the Reds have Robert Stevenson in the wings. This kid, I saw him pitch last year in Dayton. And I'm telling you, he, he was scary fast. He you know, he throws really hard. He has a heavy breaking ball, a heavy fastball. Everything is downhill with him. The plane of the ball is, is downhill. And he's hard to hit. And I, I think the Reds are going to make a move next year. They, they have to. They have to get one of those five. But they're not going to lose much when they bring up Stevenson. He He is really good. And he could step in, I could see him replacing Cueto or Latos, for that matter. Uh, and with these no trade contracts, even though Bailey's got a no trade contract, if you know if the Yankees want him, all he's going to say is, "Yeah, I'll go, but give me more money." Uh, those things don't mean anything. There's no trade contracts. It's all economics. So the Reds have some depth at pitching for the first time in, in many decades. Uh, and in in terms of their potential, it all, to me, boils down to what they're going to do offensively.
0: You know, another thing I was fascinated by, Mark, was one of the clauses that is in the Homer Bailey contract, supposedly, since nobody really knows except for the agent Homer Bailey and the Reds, but that in the last three years of this deal, it is Reds-friendly where they have an option to adjust his salary twice in those three years to make it team friendly for them to bring in somebody else.
1: That's true, and they also a little caveat I just found out about. Uh, he is not paid until November of each year. It gives the Reds a break on cash flow when most of their ticket sales take place uh, in, in October, November, and December for the for the next upcoming year. So he did some gyrations for them to allow them to be competitive, which is, I think, is smart. And I don't know what, um, I think Joy Vado did basically the same thing. In some years, he makes a lot more money than he does the next year to give them a break in terms of, of, of money being paid out. But, again, that's because these guys are corporations in and of themselves. Most of them have set up LLCs under their name. Uh, it's big business. And when, when they make a contract like that, it's no joke. When when you commit a quarter of a billion dollars to one player, like the Reds did to Joey Votto, that is not a player. Uh, that is a partner. And they're in it together. And it, it's a much different psychological connection now between player and team than it ever was.
0: Well, another thing I want to ask you, because you brought it up here just a second ago, is that this Red staff... Is going to be a great one, barring injury. Now, Johnny Cueto, the last year, last year, of course, the last half of the 2012 season, injury prone. Can you expect Cueto to go through the year uninjured?
1: Well, you. No, I don't think you can. The short answer is I think there is something in his delivery that is causing him problems. And I, I didn't see. They said he made an adjustment where, you know, he pitches with that, that Louis Tiant back to the to the hitter motion. And if you've ever tried that, just try it one time. The, the torque it puts on your back and your shoulder, I don't know why they're not making him change it more substantially than, than he has. But in answer to your question, you can expect him to be injured because he has been. And injuries... There are some players who have never been injured. You take Greg Maddox or Tom Glavin, those guys, they never, they were never injured. They had very economical motions to the plate. They didn't put a lot of strain on their arms. Bronson Arroyo was never hurt. And some guys are just prone to injury. And once it starts, it's because of the way they deliver the ball to the plate. And they don't want to change because it's what got them to the big leagues. You can understand that. But it's surprising to me that that some of these teams aren't more cognizant of, of players who, like the kid from the, from the Mets last year, uh, what's his name, who won the, um, I don't know if he won the Rookie of the Year or not, but he Matt Harvey, Matt Harvey, Matt. You could you could look at Matt Harvey's delivery and it hurt. It, it just it hurt to watch him throw because he kind of exploded off the mound, and I remember thinking early in the year, I man, that kid's going to hurt himself. Well. He's, you know, he's not going to play all this year, and he, may he hurt did, him, but, you know, he did hurt himself bad. <laughs> so uh, th- there's all kinds of, of ways you can you can adjust your motion, but the players don't want to change.
0: Well, we're going to get into more about the TV deals that the Reds are interested in. The Indians have got their own dilemma as far as TV is concerned, and I'm right in the middle of it. And, of course, Chief Wahoo. But let's get into the Indians right now, Mark, as we're getting towards the bottom of the hour here. And this is going to be the second year under Terry Francona. The second year in Boston, he won a World Series championship after a 100-year drought. I'm hoping he can do the same thing with the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, and
1: I think he's got a good shot. But I was very interested in your take on Lindor. Where is he now, in your estimation, in terms of, is he living up to expectations? I've only seen him play twice. I mean, he looks great at the times I saw him. But do you think over the long haul this kid is going to be everything everybody thinks he's going to be?
0: You know, it's almost marked to the point where he can't be. He is being treated as the savior coming in at shortstop and being the second coming of Omar Vizquel and Ozzy Smith all rolled into one. Now, do I think he's going to be a great player? Yeah, I really do. I think this kid has got all the tools to be a great player. He hit a home run a few days ago out in Arizona that, unfortunately, I can't watch the Indian games right now, but he hit a home run to right field that they said got out of the ballpark with a shot. Um, now... He's a great defensive player. We heard Tony Lestoria, whom we'll have on the show here in a couple weeks, again, um, who's the Indians uh, reporter for the minor leagues. He says that Lindor is major league ready right now. Do I think he's going to make the major league team, even though he's had a, a real good spring training? No, Mark. I don't think he's going to make the major league ball club. But here's what I think he brings to this team. Flexibility at the trading deadline. Because if he goes to Columbus, Mark, and starts playing the way I think he can play down at Columbus, and I expect him to have a learning curve problem for the first month, maybe two, but then he'll pick things up. Last year when he moved from Carolina up to Akron in A, he picked it up right away. After a week, he started hitting the cover off the ball and his defense never faltered. And I kind of expect that type of thing maybe with about a month or so delay in Columbus because there, there's a lot of ex-major leaguers at AAA anymore. But what this is going to do is they're going to have the flexibility that they can use as Drupal Cabrera as trade bait at the trade deadline to go out and get something that they really need and bring Lindor up much like they did Cabrera seven years ago in 2007 when they put him at second base. I I think it's a great problem to have, and I think Lindor is here to stay once he comes up to the club. He's not going to go back up and down.
1: What's your your take on the Indians pitching staff? Is there still a hole at number five, or are you happy with who's there?
0: I'm happy with who's there right now. Uh, Right now, their top four appears to be Masterson, Corey Kluber, Zach McAllister, and Danny Salazar. Now, Salazar came on towards the end of the year and started the wild card game. And, of course, they were kind of babying him along, if you recall, Mark, because he was coming off the Tommy John surgery. But this kid's 24, 25 years old, and he throws a fastball free and easy of around 98, 99 miles an hour. The, The kid's outstanding. I think he's got a great future. The number five spot, Carlos Carrasco is out of options. I think he's got the inside track of being the number five starter. You've got Josh Tomlin, who two years ago was an outstanding starter for the Indians, and he had to undergo Tommy John surgery. I think he's looking at being in the number five position. And then you got a guy who you probably remember, Aaron Harang, and you probably know a little bit more about him than I do, but the Indians are looking at him as a possible uh number five starter or replacement starter. I think he's going to start out the year in Columbus, but those three guys so far in spring training, Mark, have really been battling it out and had a very good battle so far. Josh Tomlin threw four shutout innings against Milwaukee just yesterday uh, coming off that Tommy John surgery. So I, I think you've got three guys there vying for that number five spot that are outstanding.
1: Why? Do you, I was curious why... The Indians didn't lock up Masterson long-term yet.
0: <laughs> Boy, you're going to get me started before this year even begins, aren't you? Um, Mark, have you heard of the New York Knicks? <laughs> yeah, I have. Okay. Uh, aren't they one of the laughing stocks of the NBA? Yes, they are. Their cousins own the Cleveland Indians. Now, two years ago, I was absolutely, totally, despising the Dolans. Last year, I gave them a pass because they started to spend money. This winter marked their back to their penny pinching ways. Josh Masterson, they could have signed for twelve million dollars three years before arbitration. And he's supposed to be your number one starter. Supposed to be your number one starter. They could have had him locked up three years, $36 million. Instead, they went to arbitration, settled on a one-year deal for $9 million. And now, if they want to sign him, it's going to cost them anywhere from 14 to $15 million. Just not good business sense. I don't understand... What it is they're doing. Nelson Cruz was another one, Mark. I I just don't understand why we had to go out and get David Murphy for $3 million, add another $5 million, and get a guy that can hit the ball out of the ballpark, which is what this team needs. I was really happy with this team that they went out and got Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher a year ago. But they were leadoff hitters and number two hitters. Now we need somebody to put in the middle of the lineup Carlos Santana hopefully will be able to handle it. But now Carlos Santana has got the added pressure of being a third baseman. At least part-time so far. To answer your question about Josh Masterson, I think it was a tactical error that they screwed up completely. They should have signed this guy and just called it a day. Now, we did lose two pitchers, Mark. Ubaldo Jimenez, who you know was my favorite Cleveland Indian of all time. <laughs> I thought that was the greatest trade that Chris Antonetti ever made and Mark Shapiro ever made. It's It turned out not to be a bad deal. But I think Baltimore was nuts. Baltimore should have their head examined. You know that nice head of hair that Buck Showalter has on his head right now underneath that hat? He's going to be bald by the end of the year watching you baldo. This guy, he only pitches when the money is on the line. He had a five-year deal coming out of Colorado to Cleveland, and the only time he pitched through it, Mark, was the first three months of the contract and the last three months of the contract. And now he's got a four-year deal. I told you, I told anybody else that would listen, I would have signed Jimenez to a two-year deal with a club option for a third at about $12 million a year, and that was it. And Baltimore broke the bank on this guy. I would have given the money to Irvin Santana, not Ubaldo. They also lost uh, Scott Casimir. I loved Scott Casimir. You know I sang the praises of Scott Casimir a year ago. Scott Casimir is not. A two-year, twenty-two million dollar a year, or twenty-two million dollar pitcher, eleven million a year. I would have never signed him to that deal. So I've got to give the Indians kudos for being fiscally responsible on Ubaldo and Kazmir. But I got to wonder why they haven't gone out and gotten that bat that they needed, a guy like Nelson Cruz. There's got to be a reason, uh, and I don't know what it is, but. Am I happy with what they've done with Josh Masterson, Mark? Not at all. Where else are you going to find, Mark? I mean, let me ask you this question. Where else are you going to find a number one starter? And Masterson is supposed to be their number one starter. What other team is going to have a number one starter at $12 million a year? Yeah,
1: not many.
0: No, and, and the guy wants to stay in Cleveland. He wants to stay with Francona. He's even come back and offered them so many different uh avenues as to how to sign him and the Indian, but he's also given him a deadline mark he's not going to as of march 31st he won't negotiate anymore which means he would be a free agent at the end of the year and anybody who takes free agency from cleveland never comes back
1: well it's going to so be so what they're doing
0: i don't know this,
1: I think everything we're talking about in terms of the money, and, and baseball is obviously all about the money now, it's going to revolve around these escalating and evolving television contracts that are going to come from Fox, they're going to come from ESPN, they're going to come from local or regional networks that are going to be developing. And you're going to have money coming in to, say, say the Reds. When they regionalize their their TV broadcasting, to cover Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, uh, Tennessee. Uh, it's going to have a huge impact on their bottom line. And that's going to allow a, a mid-market team like the Reds to compete with the big boys. But when you look at what the big boys have done, the teams that have spent the most money have not won. So you, you look back over the, that last... Go back three years, and you look at the Angels. When you look at that roster two years ago, people thought they were going to mail it in. That that team, they could go undefeated. They were so good. Look at the Toronto Blue Jays. The the roster they put together that was supposed to win and did not. The Yankees, uh, the Red Sox last year. But the Red Sox, remember when they signed all those players to those huge contracts? And they did not win. So it's, it's, it reverts back to you can have all the money in the world, but if you're stupid and you sign the wrong players, you're not going to win. So I can't understand why baseball has not put in a salary cap. It, it at some point, mark my words, a team is going to go bankrupt because you cannot, cannot have a three or $400 million payroll, which is this is headed to right now, uh, and expect to stay in business. You can't do it. If the fans don't show up, you're going to be out of business.
0: Well, the most fiscally irresponsible team for years was the New York Yankees. The second one was the Florida or Miami Marlins, whatever you want to call them. But the Miami Marlins also, you know, twice they did this, and then the third time they finally... I guess in baseball, the third time is a strike. The first two times, they won World Series championships doing it. The third time, they got a new stadium out of it. So I guess who's the stupid ones there? Is it the Miami Marlins front office or the people of Miami? The, the team. So I mean,
1: the team I'm going to be fascinated to watch this year is the Dodgers. Uh, there's so much drama going on out there, and that payroll is well over two hundred million dollars. I think it's 240 or something like that. They've got four outfielders, all of whom have stated, I'm not a reserve outfielder. So what do you do? <laughs> what do you do with that team? A lot of big egos, huge market, expectations through the roof. They're supposed to win. They've got great pitching. If this team doesn't win, uh, it, it's going to be, a, I guess, a wake-up call to a lot of GMs around the country. Is You, you can no longer buy your – a championship like the Yankees did for a decade.
0: Well, keep in mind, you know, as I was bringing up there earlier about the New York Yankees being fiscally irresponsible, I thought they were extremely responsible with the way that they adjudicated their money during this offseason. They could have signed Robinson Cano for $290 million, and instead they went out and signed five players, Mark, For less than what Robinson Cano is going to make in Seattle. Yeah,
1: that that Seattle deal, I'm glad you brought that up. That's the team that needed Cruz more than anybody else. You just spent all that money on Cano, and he's going to walk 150 times this year. There's nobody to scare anybody in that lineup after Cano to me that was just bad baseball management you put all that money into cano and number one you could have got him for less number one and number two if you're going to do it you can't stop there you've got to go on and back him up with somebody who can can scare a pitcher you know and make them make them face cano cuz he's he's such a great hitter but that that team i think strategically they they just got cold feet and they they stopped after cano and i think they could you know they could finish fourth
0: before we get into this uh, TV thing, Mark, I want to bring up two players, one that has been frustrating to each of us. Drew Stubbs in Colorado, do you think that's a good move for him?
1: I do. I, I think he has, he has moved into that level of his career now where there there are no expectations. Right now, he's a fourth or fifth outfielder, good defensive player, he'll steal you a couple bases, but... I know, I think Drew Stubbs went to Texas, pretty good school. To me, and I don't mean this intellectually per se, but in terms of baseball intelligence, there can't be a dumber player in Major League Baseball than Drew Stubbs. When you have that kind of natural talent and you don't learn to hit the ball on the ground, you refuse to bunt, you you, you look at your assets and say, I'm going to hit 40 home runs a year, therefore I will not. Learned to bunt he's not going to hit 40 he'll he'll never hit 20 again for that matter and either he got bad bad advice from his agent or he's just a a dunderhead it just it it makes no sense that a career like that is going to go the way it's going to go because he's never going to start again and he's going to be a backup player because he's he's too stubborn to make any changes in his game
0: the second one I want to talk to you about is particularly intriguing to me because of where he went. Johnny Peralta to the St. Louis Cardinals. That, to me, made no sense whatsoever.
1: What? what, because of the drugs or because of the testosterone? You know, the performance enhancement? Well, that rate?
0: plus he just does not fit into the Cardinal way, and if they were looking for a shortstop that was better than the guy that they thought botched the World Series, they're looking at the wrong guy.
1: Yeah, but, you know, that team, it's an intriguing organization. It reminds me of the the New England Patriots, where they'll bring in a guy who has been an outcast or miscast or whatever from another team, and he learns to play the Patriots' way. And I think there's some kind of mystique about the Cardinals that players come in there, and they learn pretty damn quick that either you're going to be part, of this team, or you're not going to be here. And I think a lot of players will acquiesce to that. And it'd be interesting, you, you mentioned Drew Stubbs before, I wonder had he been under the tutelage of Tony La Russa, would he have done what he did, in terms of his lack of bunting and, and running and, and making contact and all that stuff. I, I don't think La Russa would have put up with that crap. But Peralta, I'll tell you, that guy, he's got the he's got the goods, and if they can get him to play, I think that the Cardinals really really help themselves. Offensively, they may suffer a bit defensively, but I think it's going to overcome any weaknesses on defense by the a number of runs they're going to score because of Peralta.
0: Mark, let's get into the TV issue. The Reds evidently are looking into uh, forming their own television network. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, for the last number of years, Fox <clears throat> Fox has taken over the broadcast of of most teams in Major League Baseball. Some teams have had their own ne- network, like YES in New York, and, and some others. But th- the Reds are smart. They, they've got uh, they, they've got the capability of creating a, a network because their their fan base is one of the biggest geographically in the country. They go all through Tennessee, all through Kentucky, West Virginia, Indiana. Michigan, Ohio, uh, even parts of Illinois, are, are Reds, it's Reds' country. So the, the Red, in North Carolina, there's a huge fan base in North Carolina for the Reds. You'd think it'd be the Braves, but it's not. So they look at that. They look at the demographics. They look at the population. And why not have your own network? Technologically, it's a no-brainer these days. So you, you control all those revenues 100%. You control the advertising, who the advertisers are. Uh, they're part of WLW. Uh, not part of it, but they, they, they work through WLW, which is the biggest uh, clear channel station in the country. You know, it's the nation station. So they can cover a lot of geographic territory, and that means they, they cover a lot of advertising dollars. So I think it's it, it could really change the Reds in terms of their income, which in, in turn will create more profit for the team, but also their ability to compete with the big boys and getting free agents.
0: Well, I know the Indians had Sports Time Ohio. Uh, they did have them. They formed that network. They, they kept it for about 10 years. And then last year before the season began, they, they sold it. Actually, it was the end of the 2012 season. They sold it to Fox Sports Ohio, which supposedly is what gave them the stimulus money to go ahead and sign Bourne and Swisher. So I... I You have to kind of question, Mark, um, why in the world if there's so much money to be made by a team running their own television market? I can understand it in New York with the Yes Network because uh, they bring in advertising hand over fist. Either the Indians Network with Sports Time was completely mismanaged, which I don't have a problem disbelieving, uh, or or believing, I guess is the right terminology, uh, or they did make a buku amount of money off of Fox Sports Ohio?
1: Well, those contracts were negotiated five to ten years ago with with Fox. Fox, as you recall, came in and, and kind of piecemeal went to the Major League teams, ended up making a deal. But those, those contracts are dated. And technology that was used back then is dated. Things are a lot cheaper to put on these days. Uh, there, there's so many things that are in the favor of the teams having their own their own TV network, their own radio network, that, that is definitely going to be the wave of the future. When you're in Los Angeles, as an example, the, the TV coverage out there and the number of people you're servicing, it's, they could make a profit just with their TV contract. Everything else they put in the bank. So this, this is a Major League Baseball franchise is an, is, is an excuse and a mechanism to print cash. And these teams are, are are getting it. The Reds are a sophisticated organization. They know what they're doing, and I, I think that they you're going to see a lot of of these smaller market teams do very very well over the next 10 15 years. They're, they're not going to be overwhelmed by the Yankees anymore or the Red Sox or the Dodgers. The Reds the Reds can compete financially, and that that changes everything.
0: Well, in the meantime, Mark. Here I am doing an Indians radio talk show, and I can't even watch the Indians because Sports Time Ohio, the Indians' home television station, is in a dispute with Dish Network, which I happen to be a customer of. So Dish Network is not showing Sports Time Ohio, which means I can't get the Cleveland Indians. Now, on top of that, (laughs) I go to the major MLB.com to try to get... Their, their television service on the internet so I can watch the Indians. Mark, this blackout rule that Major League Baseball has to me is totally the craziest thing I think I have ever seen. Uh, not only since I can't get the Indians where I live right now because I'm in the 75-mile radius, supposedly, but I thought, well, I would go to my father who lives up in northwest Ohio. Lo and behold... He can't get the Indians, Detroit, or Cincinnati, which really is confusing because he's 200 miles from Cincinnati and he's 130 miles from Chicago, but he can get the Cubs and the White Sox, Mark. (laughs) I mean, this this, this whole thing, this Major League Baseball blackout rules, just makes absolutely no sense. If somebody can actually sit me down and, and explain this to me, I would love it. Nonetheless, I don't know what to do here. Do I stick with Dish Network and maybe not get to see the Indians at all anymore? Or should I switch and go to another TV? I don't know.
1: Well, obviously they're trying to do this this negotiation before the, the, the season starts. I can't imagine they would go into the regular season with that kind of ridiculous situation occurring. There's too much money to be lost by everybody. Uh, the, the advertising revenues are, are too substantial. So I would make a bet with you that um, by the time opening day rolls around on the 31st that this is all going to be in the past, and uh, you will, I will talk you off the ledge because I, 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 it sounds like you're ready to jump.
0: I am ready to jump because the Indians run, have been on TV in spring training uh, five times so far, and I haven't been able to watch – any of the games and what I'm hoping for Mark as we round out this first show of our fourth season is that I'm going to be able to watch the Cleveland Indians sometime in the month of April now I do know I'll get to see opening day on April 4th because it will be on the uh local over the air antenna station so I'll be able to see it then but the rest of the games are on cable or satellite whatever you want to put it like and uh so far, I'm unable to do it. Have well, you seen... Against... Go
1: ahead. Uh, the, the Reds opening day game um, against the Cardinals is going to be broadcast by ESPN. So you'll at least be able to see the Reds play.
0: I'll be able to see the Reds play. Unfortunately, if they show the Indians, it's blacked out. <laughs> That, that's, this is the goofiest thing. The other day I wanted to watch. The Reds and the Indians were on Major League Baseball Network. But because Sports Time Ohio has the contract to show the Indians over a 75-mile radius, even though they're not on Dish Network now because they've been shut off, Major League Baseball Network still cannot show the Indians in this area. So it's, it's like, I I don't know. But I guess uh, cooler heads than mine will have to convene and get on this. Have you seen, Mark, last year I know we talked about this also. The month of April for Cincinnati is a killer. It was last year, and it is again this year. They open the season on March 31st at home, of course, as always, with St. Louis. It'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But in April, listen to this list of teams that they play. They get the Pirates in April seven times. They play St. Louis and the Chicago Cubs six times. They've got Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and the New York Mets each three games. And of the first 28 games, Mark, the Reds have in April... And one game in March, 16 of them are on the road.
1: Well, that's a daunting schedule, but I remind you of last year. Uh, we, we were talking about the same thing. If you recall last year, they had a horrible opening schedule. They played the Angels and the Cardinals, I think, what, nine times in the first 12 games. Um, really tough schedule to start. They had a winning They had a winning April. I think there were four or five games that were 500 in April. And then they go to September, and we all said, wow, what an easy schedule going into September. They're going to catch the Cardinals. <laughs> what do they do? They lose their last six games and have a losing record in September. The fact is that whether you play the Cardinals in April, or you play them in September, you've got to play the Cardinals. So the schedule never really upset me because you've got to get those games out of the way anyway. Where it becomes much more problematic for me is the dreaded interleague play. I hate it. I hate interleague play because it it creates an unlevel playing field. If you're playing everybody in the National League X number of games, it's fair. But when you got to play Tampa Bay, as the Reds do, or you got to play a first division team in the American League, and then the Cardinals, say, are playing a last place team in the American League, it's not fair. It's not the same schedule. And that has irked me for as long as the idiotic interleague play has been in, in, in vogue. And I think the, the irony of it all, and you and know I have talked about this, well, why do the Reds play the Indians? Well, because it's going to bring in more people. Then they play them during the middle of the week, where Reds fans don't have time to go to Cleveland, Indians fans don't have time to go to Cincinnati, which defeats the purpose of having it anyway. I, I, I don't understand the logic of it and why it's being done.
0: Yeah, and yet... As we've brought this up time and time again, the Yankees and the Mets, the Dodgers and the Angels will all play on the weekends even though they are closer in proximity to each other than the Reds and the Indians are.
1: Yeah, there, there's so many inconsistencies about it that, that there is no logical explanation. There's nothing that makes sense other than Bud Selig. It was his idea and he doesn't want to let it go. It, there's there's no reason to have it. I think it dilutes the value of the World Series and the uniqueness of the World Series, where you have two separate leagues who have not played one another all year. They come into October, and this is going to be cool because they've not played. Nobody's played anybody. So I, I, I've I've lost my interest in in the interleague play, and there is no explanation I have heard from anyone. And, and including attendance, uh, what would you rather do? See the Reds play the Cardinals an extra five or six games or have them play somebody uh, in last place in the Central Division of the American League? I mean, it doesn't make any
0: sense. Well, I think the unbalanced schedule is unfair in so many different ways, uh, mainly because of the fact that a team could make the playoffs and only play a certain team. For example, last year... The Indians only had to play Tampa Bay six times when they had to play the Los Angeles Angels seven. Now, in certain years, that could hurt you. Depending upon who the team is, you've got to play seven times as opposed to six. The way they've scheduled these games anymore and the way they've got the unbalanced schedule working, you play 19 games against a team in your division, and then you play six or seven against a team out of the other divisions. Frankly, I know when we were in two divisions, Mark, it was fun when the Indians and Yankees played. That was a traditional rival. It's it's no longer. Yeah,
1: when you're when you're playing this unbalanced schedule, there's no marketing return on investment. There's no explanation that makes any sense at all. Uh even the TV revenues don't make sense. When you When you have these close rivalries that you could enhance by having more games uh rather than fewer it, it just doesn't make any sense so I, I, I probably overstated my position on it but uh, it, this one thing about baseball that really drives me insane is this interleague play and'm well,
0: over I'm going to overstate it with one more fact, mark remember years ago when the Reds and the Dodgers was the premier national league rivalry, and now they hardly play again anymore.
1: That's right, and and that's so weird because the Reds were in the Western Division, another anomaly of baseball lore that I, I could never understand. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's so many things that you could cool, really do in a cool way uh, to enhance the division play and have the division teams play each other 20 22 times a year. Every every weekend becomes a big series and. The interest is there and the the dislike for one another is there and all that stuff. And and then make make October bringing together the two leagues again. I think it's the the smart thing to do.
0: Well, three weeks from tonight, Mark, we'll be talking about the Reds opener in the afternoon against the Cardinals. And when we get off the air in three weeks, hopefully I'll be able to sit down and watch the Indians opener against Oakland.
1: (laughs) So I've got. We, we'll be talking about this uh, more uh, next week and the week after in terms of our, our predictions. But I told you before we went on the air that I think there's a huge upside for the Indians this year. Uh, I think they could they could certainly. Detroit's loaded. I can't say anybody's going to beat Detroit. That's one of the best lineups and best teams I've seen in in 20 years uh, with what they've done this year in the off season. But uh, the Indians can win it. Uh, I, I think the Reds are in deep trouble this year. I, I hate to say it, they have great pitching, but if if anybody gets hurt on that pitching staff, uh, with their offense, I think it's going to be, it could be a very tough year for Reds fans. I hope not.
0: Well, before we sign off tonight, Mark, I realize that I think for the first time in the three years plus one episode that we've done this show together, I did not call you the resident Reds expert.
1: Thank you, Dave. I I put that into my contract this year, and and you invited by it until you just didn't. So you're now now in violation of that contract. But uh, we'll take that as a compliment.
0: Okay, there you go. Well, we'll be back again next Monday night, 9 o'clock, with our second episode of our fourth year. Mark, anything going on with the Reds this week that we should watch out for before we leave tonight?
1: Well, according to uh, rumors and uh, and Brian Price, they're going to start moving in their their regular lineup into the uh, into the preseason games this year. Uh, they've not really done that yet, so I think the next couple of weeks will be the, the 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 tell in terms of the, is this team going to compete or not. Right now, they're they're four and nine and they look pretty pathetic, but uh, plenty of time left in spring training. How about the Indians? Uh
0: I think all they're doing right now is trying to ascertain whether or not Carlos Santana can play third. We're going to get into more of that next week and trying to see just what the rotation is going to set up at, at, like I said, that number five starter between Harang, Carrasco, and Tomlin. That's so far been a heck of a fight, but the top four starters are set, and Josh Masterson is going to uh, be the opening day starter. So we'll talk more about that next week on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Till then, have a good week, Mark. Same to you, David. Don't forget our Ultimate Sports Talk show coming up Thursday night at 7 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. And Mark and I will be back again next Monday night with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, to Mark Donahue, but most of all, to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until then, good night, everybody.